Have you ever felt like there isn't enough time in the day or like you don't have time to take care of your well-being and build your dream? Or maybe you felt like it's impossible for you to go to work and still build that business that you envision at the same time. Well, so have we. And this is why we decided to make this podcast. This podcast is not just for PTs, OTs, MDs, or RNs. It's for everyone in healthcare. Our mission is to inspire you to make healthcare a better place and to build your business or brand through stories and real-life examples of some of the top leaders and entrepreneurs in healthcare. There's no better time than now. Welcome to Off the Clock, the Healthcare Entrepreneurs Podcast. Welcome to another edition of Off the Clock, the Healthcare Entrepreneurs Podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, Mr. Carborn Jr., and I'm joined by my main man, Mr. Paulo Ching. Paul, say what's up to the people. What is up, people? It's good to be alive. I'm really avoiding saying a lot of stuff because I know everybody keeps thinking about it. It's good to be alive. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. What's up? Hope y'all are staying safe. I'll say, it, I'll say it for you. I hope y'all are staying safe. <laughs> Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Stay safe. The pandemic's still going on. Stop acting like it's not. I'm I'm happy to be here. All right, I done amped him up now. Let's let's keep it moving before he goes on a on a, a talking spree. Without further ado, y'all know we love to come on. We we love to have fun here, but y'all know we love to bring you amazing guests that just bring you so much value, you know, and and get you to to you know, look at your life and, and look at what things that you can do better and and just, you know, bring you real life examples of people who have struggled through entrepreneurship and struggled through, you know, building a brand, building a business. So, of course, this week is no exception. Very excited for this episode. And I think that this is going to be this is going to be one of those ones that gets some light bulbs going off or over people's heads. So uh, without further ado, I want to go ahead and introduce Mr. Arthur Tool, who's about to drop some fire on you guys for the next 45 minutes to an hour. So strap in your seatbelts, get ready. Hopefully you got your water so you can hydrate, your hand sanitizer next to you as well. Wash your hands. Mr. Tool, talk to us. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you feeling? Hey, man, y'all forgot one thing. You got to make sure they, they put those masks on, too. Wear your mask. See, here's the, here's the problem. I'm, I'm back up in Michigan now, so we're, we're not really tripping like everybody else. Because, you know, we took precautions. So, uh, you know, masks are mandated. We don't have to say it. It's required by law to have one on. I was down in Georgia. They forgot the memo. They were not hey, wearing oh, masks. I know. <laughs> I know. But, no, thank you guys for having me on. I look forward to it. Of course, of course. Um, so, you know, we like to be respectful of your time. So let's just go ahead and let's, let's get to the nitty gritty. Talk to us a little bit about what you are currently involved in and tell us how you got involved into it as well. Okay. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm the uh, co-founder of Grenada Nut Company and we have a product called Megrelief. It's the first FDA compliant, all natural pain relief spray. Literally you spray it on and you get relief, Right. And so that's how we present it to everyone. How it started, though, was just pain. Right? So I'm a prior service um, military vet. My wife is, too. 
And after 11 years, I took about two, three years off uh, from just doing anything. And then I decided, you know, early 30s that I want to go play basketball with guys that were like 20, 21. And that body just wasn't quite the same. Like it was, it was, it was a little off, right? And uh, I, I messed up my knees and like, and it, it was really bad. But doctors couldn't help it. No pain medicine could help it. Uh, physical therapists couldn't help re- rehabilitate it. And so for six months, I was walking around with my right knee just in pain. And then and because of that, it aggravated the left knee. So my wife took me to Grenada, which is where her family is from. And so they sat me down and said, listen, we got this oil we want to put on you. And if you let us do it, you'll feel relief. And I'm like, uh-uh, nope. I'm from the United States. If pain medicine can't do it, doctors can't do it, ain't no way this oil going to do it. But they put it on and like immediately, relief. I could walk, I could jump, I could, I could swim. And it was amazing. So we knew we had something. What we didn't know is, you know, how to build it out because we didn't have a background in it. My background was the military and finance. My wife was marketing, but, um, you know, we filled it with it, created our own formula. And after seven years, here we are. Mercy. Oh boy. I'm hyped Hold on. Up. Hold on, Paul. Shout out to all the West Indian people. Shout out to yes. all our West Indians. Yes, yes, yes. yes. I'm hyped up. All right, we're going to go in. I'm hyped up. Let's go. Okay. Let's go. So many things I want to talk about. So many things I want to address right off there. We could do a whole podcast just based off of what you just said. First thing I got to talk about, you said seven years. All right, listeners, keep that, keep that in mind. You said seven years. Two, it took you getting out of your comfort zone to get in where you are, right? Yeah. And then the third thing, third thing, third thing, hear me out. He said something super important. He said that he, his wife, knew the marketing, he, he knew the finance, he did the military, and they knew they had something, but they had the problem that most entrepreneurs have, where you feel like you're always right on the edge. You know you got something sweet. You know you got something game-changing, and you feel like you're right on the edge. But so many entrepreneurs are not willing to, and that's why I said seven years, are not willing to, to play that long game. Mm-hmm. A lot of people would try to, like, my man said it's FDA approved. You spray it, and, and, and pain is gone. All right? Like, I need me some of that, too. But the reason why I want to highlight that and why I want to start right there is simply because, like, I think so many people don't have that patience game, right? So we need, to, we need to talk about that first before anything else. Just the ability to be willing to see it through and, and go after it over and over and over until you've got it right. Yeah, so let me, let me because I don't want to make it seem like, you know, I was this really patient guy. In actuality, so what happened was we were... Pl- playing with the idea and I launched a couple of others because um, uh, Grenada Nut Company is business number five, right? So there were four others and they kept failing in increasingly disastrous fashion, right? Because I was like, well, we got this idea. I know it's working. And, at, and during that time, you know, my mom was using it. My sister was using it. I had a few uh, friends using it. A um, couple of uh, physical therapists that, that we both know, they were using it, but we were still like, oh, I got this over here. And um, it took the third business failing to such a degree where we lost everything. I mean, house, car, clothes. We lost things that we didn't know you could lose. Ended up being like without a home for like two years. And I'm sitting there like, okay, God, I know I'm supposed to be in entrepreneurship. I don't know this thing over here. I know that works, but we'll get back to that. What do you want me to do? And so that's when business number four happened. And I built a continuing ed school in in Georgia. And then that blew up, right? And it went really well, but there was just no peace. And so finally, I was like, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And then that's when he was like, remember that thing that that helped you? 
let's go back there. And so we launched it uh, March 2019. And within the first, this is how I knew it was it was a God thing. I can say, I can say it's be real, like it's a God thing, right? Okay, yeah. Um, within the first 60 days, we had like over 100 orders and no returns, right? And then in the first uh, nine months, by December of 2019, we won a $50,000 pitch competition in a veteran shark tank. So we went up against everybody in the nation, people who had tech companies who were on their second or third round of uh, seed funds, and they'd had incubators. And all we had was us, and we won. And I was like, okay, God, we got something, right? Like, I know we got something. So then I was like, you know what? Forget everything else. This is what we're doing. And what I, and so when you were talking about the patience thing, the patience was not giving up on what you believe that, that God has for you, what you designed to do. You may see several iterations of it, but you got to keep pushing forward. And then for those who are married, uh, what was an extra layer is in that time, I had to learn how to work with my wife, right? Because I was trying to do this entrepreneurship thing on my own and she was tagging along. It wasn't until the Grenada Nut thing came along and I was like, okay, if you don't want me to do this, I won't do this. But if we're going to do it, we're going to do it together. And everything, like everything blew up after that. So it was all those things happening together, right? So the patience was being committed to what you believe you're supposed to do. And then, you know, not get falling in love with the product, but falling in love with the solution you want to do. And then if you marry it, making sure you walk in hand in hand with your spouse, because your spouse has the gaps that you don't see to make the thing successful. And that's how we got here. So I, I kid you not. This happened in December 2019, right? Yes. Yo, this is crazy. So I remember vaguely, because I, I, as soon as you mentioned your uh, company, I was like, I've heard this before somewhere. Hold on. <laughs> like, I know I've heard this before somewhere. Oh, cool. But I couldn't, like, pinpoint where until you said that. And I was like, yo, I think I remember reading an article on NBC Yes, we featured about NBC. this. Yes, I'm just like, yes. yo, this is crazy. Yes, all right, my bad, <laughs> my bad. I'm sorry. I just kind of had to sit there for a second and and like let that sink in. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, before we dive a little bit more into that, what I want to the piece that I kind of want to talk about is something that I feel. I think it will resonate with a lot of healthcare entrepreneurs. I think it will resonate with a lot of entrepreneurs and just anyone listening in general. And it's the, it's the notion that you alluded to the fact that you guys, you had the, the continued business in Georgia and like that blew up, but then you said you didn't feel peace. Yes. And so I kind of want to, want to harbor on that for a second because what I think happens a lot of times in entrepreneurship is that you can get to a certain point where you're making money or maybe this business is doing really well and you're so consumed on the money aspect of it that you're neglecting maybe your heart's not really in it. Yes. So my question to you is for entrepreneurs who are stuck in that situation what would be the top three tips you would give them in order to get out of a habit of focusing on the money instead of making sure that what you're doing brings you peace? 
Well, first is the understanding about money, right? Those who chase it never have enough, right? So even if you make $100,000 a year, you will set your eyes on, I want 200, then I want 500, then I want a million. And so I learned that with the school because uh, when we hit a million dollars in annual revenue, it was just like, it didn't matter, right? There was that, that unfulfillment was still there. And so first tip is just recognize that money is a tool. That's not, that should not be your goal. It's good to have, right? I'm not demonizing it, but that shouldn't be your goal. Your goal should be, how do I provide, provide a service to people that need it? And as a result of doing that well, I'll make profit, right? You got to train your mind to be there. The second is, just focus on serving, serving in an area of your gifting, right? And so for healthcare practitioners, you know, unfortunately, most healthcare practitioners think just one dimensional. I'm a doctor, I'm a physical therapist. And you never look across the lay of the land to see all the other different things that you can do, right? Like the, our mutual friend, Catherine, right? She's a physical therapist, right? But she also has a SCAR program that will help women because she realized she likes relieving uh, scars and, and the emotional uh, baggage that's associated with it. So once she started looking left and right, she was able to create a, a different business. She wasn't pigeonholed into that one thing that society told her to do. You're a physical therapist. So you have to do that. And then the third is just start on something. Here's the thing. Accept the fact that you're going to fail at what you're going to do the first time, especially in entrepreneurship, because if you like me, you didn't come from entrepreneurship right? And failure isn't bad. Failure is just peeling off the things that don't work and, and pruning you for the success that you're supposed to have. Like I needed all four failures to get here because it was those failures that was like, okay, well, don't do that anymore because remember business number two, that happened. But if I would have let failure define me, if I would have let the, the people who talked about me because the, I failed define me, I'd be sitting at a job somewhere with a 401k and that's not bad, but it wasn't designed for me. And so I would do that. Um, and those would be the three things that I would do now before I, if I had to start all over again and want to peel myself away from the, that, the money problem. Because when you got, a, when you got a, a dope idea, the money will come. Like we started Meg Relief with no, no money, no debt, no marketing budget, no anything. We just shared it with a bunch of people and then they started buying it. And then we started uh, taking the profits from that, reinvesting it back into the business. And then we stumbled across people that say, hey, there's a veteran shark tank. You should pitch. We did and we won, right? So stop focusing on the money. That part comes later. You know, um, for the listeners, I just need you to understand this seems to be a recurring theme in our podcast lately, right? I always say this because for me, when I started business, my business as well, I'll be honest, you know, it was about getting paid. It was about the money. And, you know, obviously they're very specific circumstances to it, you know, trying to provide a, f a future for my girlfriend, you know, whatever, and all that. But I think like as time has gone on, that statement becomes so true. And I need the listeners just to kind of like reflect on that too, where if you have a dope product, the money will come, you know, but it's also kind of accepting that like exponential growth that yeah. comes with it. Right. Yeah. Cause I think for many of us, it's almost like you can have a dope product, product, but you have no idea how to get it out to people. You don't know who's the right customer, all that. So I think like what, I'd like to know maybe what a few listeners would like to know, especially because, you know, you did mention like when you hit a million dollars in sales, you're like, well, great. You know, <laughs> but what, what's really in here? So at what point along the way do you or along the way, how do you keep yourself in it? Because I do know 
And I'm of the belief that even if you're super passionate about something, you can still get tired. Yes. Right. I, I don't buy into that whole, like, you know, if you're so passionate about it, you're never going to feel like you're working. A day. No, you're going to get tired. <laughs> you're going to get tired. So how, how do you keep yourself pushing? And maybe you did burn out. Maybe you didn't burn out. Right. But how do you keep yourself like waking up? Like, all right, you know, today I'm going to do it because we're just getting after it. And this is part of the process, man. Kind of explain that and how it went for you. Yeah. So to be honest, like, you know, there were a bunch of times I wanted to quit. I mean, it's just easier because to just say, I'm going to go get a job. Right. And, you know, and then you get, a, you get in theory, a consistent check, you know, until you laid off. Um, for me, it was, I'm building this for my family. Right. And this actually can get people off drugs. Right. So, and, and it could, you know, cause my father, unfortunately, you know, so it came to like a lot of drug addiction and, and alcohol addiction. So it was like, man, and it started from pain. He was working in like factory, hurt his back, started taking pain pills, got addicted. What if we had Megrily thin, right? And so in those moments where I get tired, you know, I'm like, okay, if I, if I stop now, who will be affected, right? And then, you know, you got to have a couple of, of those kind of uh, things, like, you know, so you can pull out your bag and say, okay, I don't feel like it today, but I'm going to help this person. I don't feel like it today, but, you know, my kids are watching. I don't feel like it today, but my wife and I are building something. You get a bunch of those. So when the day comes, you don't feel like it, you're able to push through. And then some days just stop. Like uh, Sunday and Monday, I did nothing. I was like, you know what? I'm not doing anything and take a break. Right. I think, you know, in, in America, we have this notion that we're supposed to work 18 hour days, seven days a week. And that's the grind. Right. That's the quickest way to destroy your business, destroy your health, destroy your friends, uh, your friendships and relationships. Everything has a season and everything has its place. Right. Work hard, work with excellence, but take a break. Enjoy your family because like we, you know, we have kids. They will never be this age again. So if I'm sitting here hustling for some money because I'm trying to build something for them, and that's what we tell ourselves, then in 10 years, I will have missed this moment. And now I'm trying to play, I'm trying to catch up, right? So learn how to rest. And when you do those things, implement the social life, implement that, it makes the workload easier, right? So like today is our 11th anniversary, right? So I got the orders uh, uh, done earlier today. I'm with you guys, and then we're going to help my sister move, and then that's it. I'm not doing anything else until Monday, right? If an order comes in, it just comes in, and so I've learned to just take those breaks, so when those moments do come where I really don't feel like it, I can say, all right, you know what? I took a break just the other day. I can I can muscle through this, and that's it, and, and that's that's the whole thing. You know, stop making it, you know, this novel thing. We're regular people doing regular things, and everybody gets tired. First off, let me say uh, happy anniversary. Yes, thank you. We survived. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eleven years ain't no small thing. Oh Lord, and that's a whole nother podcast. Because I'm gonna tell because you, you said your girlfriend. Like, listen, first year dating, you will never date like you date before um, before you marry. Okay, year one is bliss, but year seven and eight, that's tough. And if you throw entrepreneurship on top of that. It's real tough, right? So 11 years. <sighs> <laughs> you made it. <laughs> I made it. <laughs> so, so, so no, let, 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 let's actually, let's actually uh, talk about that a little bit, because I think, 
I think that that's something that is common ground um, for the three of us, except me and Paul, we're not, we're not married. We just, you know, we have our queens that we care about and that we're, you know, working towards something. But we always talk about the aspect of being able to balance, you know, like you said, the grind and, and, and making sure that you're not neglecting, you know, your business and, and things like that, because, you know, you, and you have in your head, like you want to create a certain type of lifestyle for, for you and for your loved ones. Yep. Um, but at the same time, you know, we have to make sure that we're meeting the needs of our significant other, others of our loved ones. Yep. And so um, I, I kind of want to talk about that piece a bit because I think that that also is something that entrepreneurs need to hear because a lot of, a lot of the time with this whole journey, there comes that portion where sometimes you may not always see eye to eye with your significant other about you know, your work schedule or how much you're, you know, putting in. Yep. And so my question to you is, how would you, how would you say you were able to find that balance to be able to say, okay, like, I'm going to make sure that the business doesn't get neglected, because at the end of the day, we got to eat, you know, yep. but at the same time, I'm going to make sure that my queen doesn't feel neglected as well. All right, so I'm gonna do it two ways. I'm, I'm gonna tell you the moment that I realized uh, that the grind is not the way to go, right? And then I'll go back and and say, hey, if I was younger, this is how I would do it differently. So um, I was in business number four. And like I said, we had the school in Georgia. Now my, my wife and kids had moved, relocated to Maryland for a couple of reasons, mostly because my mother-in-law was, was ill. And so we just had to work between that. And then financially, it just made better sense, right? So I was flying back and forth, right? Because I thought, hey, you know, I'm there. Um, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Monday morning, and then I'm down south in Georgia running the school Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, because I had a staff of seven. And so for about a year and a half, I'm doing this every week, every week. And then I get a phone call from my wife and, um, and she was like, hey, Lauren, that's my baby girl. You know, she called the, one of the daycare workers, daddy, right? And this, this guy may have been 21, 22. I know the kid. I mean, he's a good kid. But my daughter called another male daddy. And so I got on the phone with her and I said, hey, baby girl, you know, you all right? She said, yeah, I'm all right. I'm fine. And she said, why'd you call uh, the guy daddy? She said, oh, you know, it just, you know, kind of just came out. And she started talking. Then finally she just stopped and she said, dad, I just miss you. And then that broke everything because I was like, you know, what the hell am I doing? Like I'm building this business. We're making more money than we ever have. But my family is suffering. And so that was her. And my wife was trying to be a trooper, but she wasn't even telling me, you know, the struggles that she was going through by me not being there. You know, finally we had that real conversation. She was like, I felt like a single parent. Like, and so I was like, man, I am working all these hours trying to build something. And my family's in a better position than they've ever been before financially. And I'm going to lose them. And so I was like, okay, all right. And that's when I cut, I, I stopped going, traveling down South and the, the school is still in existence and it's still doing this thing, but the revenue dried up real quick because I wasn't there, but I didn't care because my family was more important. And then that's when I came to that season, like, God, what do you want me to do? And then that's when he brought Mary Relief back. 
And so then my wife and I sat down and had a conversation. I was like, I don't ever want to be in a place where you all are feeling this way. And so what we did was she has veto power, right? So if ever I am working too hard, too much, and I'm not around the family, she can drop veto power. Hey, no, you're not doing that tonight. Nope. You with us tonight, right? And, and so we started doing that. And then the coronavirus happened. And I know, you know, prayers going out to anybody that's been negatively affected by it. You know, it's definitely been a hazardous thing. But for our household, every night we're together, right? And so two nights a week, we watching movies, we eating pizza, we're doing, they get to see daddy just be daddy. And then the beautiful thing was, they asked to be a part of the business. So now we've got the kids in the business. Because now they're like, ooh, I want to be a part. And that's how I um, went that way. But for you guys and for young, for young men like yourselves, what I would do is, uh, you know, sit down with your significant other and say, hey, what's the vision that we want for ourselves, right? Where do we want to be five years from now, right? What does that look like? And really be real with that. Where do we want to live? You know, do we want children? What church we want to be in? Do we want to be full-time entrepreneurs or do not? or we focus on a, f- a particular financial goal, set that vision, right? And then once you set that vision, you say, okay, hey, I believe it's going to take this, these things to, uh, for us to get there. It's either, and do you agree with these things? She either says yes or no. And if she agrees, then you lock in on that. And then what you do is you never forget her. Or if for the lady entrepreneurs out there, you never forget him. You got to always be paying attention to your significant other, right? You got to learn how to interpret what they're saying, and what they're not saying, right? And a lot of times, I, I can only speak from a male point of view, you know, we want to be told exactly what the woman wants us to do and because it's easier for us. But that's, that's the easy way out. Sometimes you got to sit down and just pay attention to, to, your, to your significant other. Not, they don't want to bother you. They want to support your dream. So if they're suffering, they're not going to tell you. And so you have to learn how to, how to learn them and then go from there. And then once you get married, I mean, you just built that thing out. Don't leave your job until you have steady revenues to cover your household, right? Everybody wants to go out there and just risk it all. No, not if you got a family, you know, do what you got to do. And then recognize that it's not through your own power that you're going to be successful, right? You're just a steward of the, the business. The business isn't ours. The business is God's. He allowed us to run it for him. We, are, we have no reason to have a pain relief company given our background but he trusts us with it. And and we just remind ourselves that this isn't ours. This is God's. So it doesn't matter if I work 18 hours a week or a hundred hours a week or whatever, because it's his, he's going to make it produce in its season. As long as I work with excellence in the hours that I do work. And so when you do that, that's, that's what gets you there. And then understand you're just going to be frustrated with each other. Like you and your significant other are going to have arguments and going to have discussions. There are going to be times when you as the man are going to feel like she's not supporting uh, supporting you. There are going to be times where she feels like you don't love her. You're putting the business before her and you have to be the first person. I don't care if you're the woman or the man, if you're the entrepreneur, you have to be the first person to go there and say, hey, are we good? Check in with them. Is there anything that I'm doing that you want me to change? Right? Are we really good? All right, let's go out. We're going to go and eat. I don't know, nothing, Uh, have a drink, let's talk, right? And so when I did that, uh, our marriage took a turn because we were ready to quit. Like we were done. We were married in name only. And I didn't even realize it uh, until, you know, this. And then it was like, okay, 
So now, if she would have told me, hey, I, um, don't do the podcast today, I'm out, right? She got veto power. I'm not doing anything without her. Like, she downstairs, and she was like, oh, baby, you want me to get you some, uh, some nuts, some carrots, and some water? Like, okay, yeah, she's, she's on board. Like, and, and now we're strong. And then surround yourself with people who support that kind of marriage. Get the dudes out your ear that are single, that's talking about, you know, uh, just hanging out. Because when you're struggling, yeah, you're going to have a lot of problems. And for the ladies, get your, get your single friends that, that, are, that are bashing men out your ear because they're going to destroy what you have. And then y'all just focus on building your own thing. But that's it. I can go on for that because it was a journey. So, you know, I'm kind of in that boat where I did start a business with my significant other. My girlfriend, let me stop calling her my significant other. My girl, my lady, my queen, I started a business with my queen. And, um, you know, at the very beginning, that was a lot of stuff we had to come to terms with, especially me. I'm a, I'm a super, super, super like, tell me where the plane landed and I don't care how it got there. Like, just don't, don't give me that. And so to me at the beginning, like I said, you know, because I was chasing like the financial aspect of it, I was like, yo, like you got to work, you got to work, you got to work, you got to work. And she'd be like, um, are we just business partners or we're in a relationship? Mm-hmm. And you know, at the start, you know, I was just like, is this, is this even worth it? Like, you know, I'd rather say the relationship, but you know, kind of hearing what you're saying, you know, really hits home where for listeners, if, if you are, in a situation like that where you're starting a business with your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your best friend, it don't matter, whoever it is. Just, um, something I would suggest, something Carl and I actually just did, um, something I just did with my girlfriend as well, is we actually just took an assessment. Um, you know, it's not part of this podcast. I can't believe I'm shouting them out, but whatever. Uh, the DISC assessment, um, yes. uh, Eric Thomas and Alvin, the flight assessment. Yep. So we just did it. Um, mainly because I needed us to understand like how we best communicate with each other, how we best function, how we best succeed. Right. Because I think like, especially when you're going into business with people that are close to you and like in your inner circle, the, the worst thing you can do is get a really successful business, but then y'all just hate each other. Right. Yeah. It would really suck if Carl and I got onto this podcast and we couldn't stand the side of each other, but like, you know, during the hour we're great, but whatever, like it, it really sucked. And so um, just to hit home your point, man, like it, it really stands out for people because one, obviously you're trying to build it. And I want to come back to something that you said um, earlier. I do have a follow-up question, but one, it does kind of speak out to the fact like, yo, you're a family man and people should definitely understand the purpose of business and what it does for them. Right. The whole purpose of a business to me, at least is to be able to free up time to spend with those that I love. Right. I think people should be like the purpose of business is to make money. Yeah. I mean, that's a byproduct. You get a product, people buy it, you're going to get money. But really, it's to create that freedom with the people that you love or to do the stuff that you want to do without, you know, being tied down to somebody. The example I gave before was like, I cannot imagine a world where, say, I want to go like to Thanksgiving and another grown man or another grown woman tells me I can't take vacation to go be with people I love. That right there. Yes. Sorry, but you just lost somebody in the company. <laughs> it cannot be me. So, um, you know, it's purpose of business. So I love that you hit that. Um, my follow-up question, um, especially because you said you have the kids in the family. So I've been, ex- been exploring this concept of family business. I think for too long, I've heard, um, don't do business with your family, mm-hmm. right? And recently, within the last month, I've, I've started to explore this concept of like, it actually benefits us to do business with our family. And here's why. Let me present my case to the listeners that are already hating. I can hear you through the, through the sound waves. 
the reason why I think it's important to do business with the fam, and you know, no, notice Arthur said that he brought the kids into the biz now, right? And, and they're part of it. I think it's important because like, as part of the structure you're trying to build, right? So the long forgotten structure of like family banks, you know, having households that are able to financially provide for generations to come and all stuff like that, right? Um, I think for too long, somebody along the way probably was just like, yo, just stop doing business with family because, all right, maybe you do have those people that, you know, are not business savvy and are just trying to get a handout. I get that. But, you know, to the people, like, for me, I'd love if my siblings would join in my business. I'd love if my parents would join in my business. I'd love if my grand, God rest their souls, if they had the opportunity to join the business, right? Because I, I understand, like, yo, I'm not just doing this for me. I'm doing it for, like, my kids' kids, all right, yeah. whenever they come. Not too soon, but not too far away. Um, whenever they do come, I'm doing it for, like, my grandchildren and their kids because I'm trying to set up a system where I know, even at the base root of it, they're not going to be stuck in a system where – they're going to experience the thing I just explained, right? Have somebody else dictate their time movements and, and, and opportunities. Yeah. So at a base level, if they do nothing, at least this thing will make sure that they have the option to choose to do nothing. Right. I don't, I don't want them to get stuck. So the reason I love that you said you brought the kids in, cause I want to talk about that. If that's okay. Yeah. Um, why was it so important for you to, to have the kids be part of the business? What does that do for the kids? One, what does that do for the reality in which they grow up in? And then what do you think that will provide for them going forward into their adulthood one day? Yeah, some good questions. So um, what it does for the kids is it lets them see what mommy and daddy are doing, right? So we talk about these things throughout the day and now they get to see it. Um, and then two, and most importantly, it gives them options, right? And so when I was growing up, you know, I'm a, I was born in 77, so I'm a 70s baby. My parents grew up with go get a job and the job's going to take care of you for 30, you know, work 30 years and they'll take care of you for life. And we all know we're not there anymore. But I was never told that there was another option. I didn't know about the word entrepreneurship till I was in my 20s, right? And I had been doing entrepreneurial things. Like I was the kid selling candy, cutting grass and all this other stuff, but I didn't know what that was. Um, and so I want my kids to have the option, right? So they know now they don't have to work in the business when they're grown. They don't have to work in the business now. Actually, our youngest is like, yo, I'm not interested. He just came on board like uh, a month ago. And that's because he saw everybody else doing it. But we had a little family meeting. He's like, nope, I don't want to. And I'll like, say, okay, well, you can go and walk, walk off. And that's what he did. But it's just now they grow up knowing I can be an artist and I can create a business that can get me what I want to do from, from a financial perspective so that I can go be an artist. So now, if I decide to be a doctor, a physical therapist, or lawyer, or engineer, that's my choice. I'm not doing it because financially I need it, because I saw my parents build something that took care of all of us, right? And so that's the whole point. And then from the whole working with family, going back to what you were saying earlier, I think there's a lot of popular uh, notions that are out there that, that we just lay on each other, and we accept it as gospel. And, and that's just not, that's not true. Like working with family members, I think is good as long as you set real expectations, right? And so you have a clear, you know, chain of command, right? So in our business, I'm the CEO, co-founder, but I'm the CEO. So I will engage everybody's opinion. And in majority of the time, I would do majority opinion, majority rules. But there'll be those times when I can say, I know what you, got, you all are saying, but we're going to go this way, right? And if I do that, if, we're, if it's wrong or if it fails, it's on me, right? 
And then we, we task out tasks. Like, so our oldest son is 24 and he is a computer scientist. So he does all the tech stuff, everything on that. Like we literally are working with a consultant firm now to try to do some changes to the site. And he runs that. I was on the initial meeting. I'm not on anything else. I'm going to let him 100% handle it. And he'll tell me what he needs from me. My wife, Danette, is doing the compliance and the HR stuff. So we found in the seven years of entrepreneurship, if you're a nice person, I would just hire you, even if you weren't skilled, because I just like you, right? And my wife is like, yeah, no, no, because all those people you hired, uh, yeah, no, they were trash. So you don't get to hire anybody anymore, right? And so she does that. My daughter and my son, they like the boxing up the, um, the shipping boxes. And then my daughter likes to do, she wants to make the, the bath bomb. So we give everybody their space and no one tramples on each other's space. And then, so you get to rule that. So if something happens, you're accountable. But my sister, who is the amazing artist, and I need a graphic designer, I won't go to her because I've recognized when I go to her, because it's brother, it, what would take her a normal day, one, uh, one day for a customer, she would take three weeks for me because it's brother. So I recognize that particular family member I can't do business with, but I would never say don't do business with family. I love that. And it's so, it, it's just funny how, you know, things are timed sometimes because I actually uh, was watching a video this morning talking about the same thing. And uh, the gentleman that was speaking had reference to the fact that we're so programmed to believe that you, you can't go into business with the family or you can't work with the family. And and really and truly, it should be, you know, we should have an asterisk next to that and say you shouldn't go into business with a dysfunctional family. Yes. So, um, yes. you know, everything that you said makes complete sense. And um, I just think that's so dope, you know, like to be able to to have built what you guys have built and, you know, it be you, your wife and your kids, like that's powerful, you know, yeah. and and I think that that's also, you know, kind of tapping into the, into the, the aspect of, you know, group economics, you know, yes. being able to, you know, keep the wealth within the family, you know, and within the neighborhood and stuff like that, you know, and, and paying it forward. So I love that. And I kind of, I, I kind of want to ask something. So off, so off the family trail for a second, I kind of want to ask this question because earlier on, you, you, you know, and and this part just it, it stuck out to me so much. But earlier on, you know, going back to the piece, you know, and and when you said that, you know, you, the million dollars in sales happened, and it was just like, okay, you know, mm -hmm. like it was just emptiness. My question is more so in the direction of I've always heard you know very successful people say that it's easy to get it, but it's harder to keep it. And so my question to you is, do you feel like being able to do that once made you, made you, you know, see it as something that was easier to do moving forward? And how did you allow, or how did you kind of mold yourself to focus on making sure that you kept balance between the goals that you had for yourself and the, or, or the goals that you all had for your business mm -hmm. and that it aligned with the type of revenue that you wanted to do, but it didn't make you venture off, you know, your principles, I should say. Yeah. So uh, that's a complicated, 
it'll take a complicated answer. So I have to go back into to my past for that. So I'm, I was born in Birmingham, Alabama in Woodlawn. And so anybody that knows Birmingham, particularly in the 80s and 90s, Woodlawn was not the place you wanted to be in, right? And so single parent, um, high school education and, and three kids, right? But we never missed a meal. We never went without clothes. And we never had, a, we never went without a roof over our head. And we had a lot of trauma with our father, but once he was out the picture, my mom made sure we had, right? I didn't realize until I was in my twenties and in college that we were poor. Like I knew we didn't have a lot of money. I didn't know we were poor because my mom made sure we had everything that we needed. And so I grew up with this detachment from money. It never really mattered until I got into entrepreneurship. And then it was, oh, I want to make a million dollars. Oh, I want to make a million dollars. Oh, I want to make a million dollars. And so that became the driving goal. Um, but then you had a couple of battles with that. My mom came from that era where, you know, you, you know, saying you want to make a million dollars to be an entrepreneurship is, is bad. I mean, like you're corrupt. So I had that programmed in me. So I had to work with that. And then I had the culture saying, you know, be a millionaire. So you had that. And so I think a part of the reason why I failed in those four businesses is because I was battling between those two. Uh, wanted to be rich financially, but also thinking that it, it was a bad thing. And so when I hit the million dollars, the reason why it was such an underwhelming experience was because my life didn't change, right? And then the business before that, where we lost everything, I, my kids still ate. They still had clothes over the, uh, on their back, a roof over their head, like God still provided. And it was that experience that made me reset what I thought about for, in terms of money. And so then when we got to, and then, you know, right before Grenada Nut Company, when I almost lost my family because I was grinding, right? And so I was like, okay, money doesn't mean anything because I've always been able to eat. I've always had a roof over my head. I've always had the, bare, the, the, the necessities, not the bare necessities. I've always had the things that I need. God has always provided. And my life didn't change when I had the money. So money doesn't mean that much. Like it's not, I'm not saying this, you shouldn't want it. I mean, it's just, it shouldn't be everything. And I learned that there. And so you said something like, was it, it's hard to keep it. Yes. After you make the first million, it is, it can be very hard to keep because if your goal was to make the million, you'll start slacking off on your work ethic because you've hit your goal. All right. And that's what started happening. Like once we, I was laying on the bed and I was on the phone with my oldest son when he was like, how much revenue have y'all made this year? And then when I did the math, it was that moment that I realized we had hit the million dollar mark. I didn't even know we had hit it because my lifestyle hadn't changed. But if you, if you, if I put up the financial statements for the school, you'll see where it, you know, month after month it was going up. And then after that day, it, it tapered off and then start going down, right? Because I had that limiting belief of a of million dollars. So you got to let go of the money. You just, you just, you just got to let go of the money. Like money is a, just a tool. That's all it is. It's not a measurement of success. It's not a measurement of failure. It's just a tool. You, you receive it, you invest some of it, you, you enjoy some of it, you waste some of it. And you keep going. The more important thing is why are you starting this, right? Like for you all's podcast, like how many people's lives are going to be changed as a result of the podcast, right? Like that's what's important. Not the endorsement deals that you get from it or the opportunities you get, uh, the financial opportunities you get from it. That's just the, the blessing on top of it. 
as long as you stay there and stay grounded in that, you know, you're safe from, from, from all the follies that most of us entrepreneurs that's at this season of life uh, made. And I don't know if that answered your question, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it 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 answered it. I'm sorry, that was a, a bit of a loaded question, so I could have worded that differently. But yeah, you 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 answered it perfectly. So thank you. Go ahead, Paul. Yeah, that's what we do here. We ask loaded questions. They thinking podcast. This is what we do here. Yo, um, my my last question kind of hits hits home because uh, well, let me kind of preface it by saying this. You know, I think for so many people, because I know there has to be somebody listening, right? And they're like, bro, I'm telling you right now, if I had like a hundred grand in my pocket, like that would change, that would change, you know, whatever. And and I know there are people like that listening and just like wondering, like, you know, um, what's it going to be? But, you know, we keep preaching that message like, yo, it's really, nothing's going to change, right? I've heard it even said like where there's somebody, one of my buddies like paid off $400,000 in student debt in like two years. And then he said, that moment of like being debt free was great for like 14 seconds. Yes. And then he was like, Oh, well, nothing's changed. I just don't owe anybody anything. Right. Yes. So then what would you say would be like two to three things, especially entrepreneurs? Cause entrepreneurs are a weird, weird, interesting breed. <laughs> Either want to be lonely. They want to be like oppressed. They want to be sleepless. They want to be like whatever. Cause it's part of the culture, right? It's part of the entrepreneur culture. Don't sleep, always be working, always be grinding, whatever. And that, that's good and all well. But not everybody's starting that entrepreneur coach like in their 20s. Not everybody's starting when they don't have a family. Not everybody's starting when they don't have other responsibilities, right? If everybody was starting while they're in college or in high school, if you could start your thing in high school, that'd be sweet, right? But not everybody's doing that. So what do you think then becomes like two of the most important things that people need to focus on, on their journey? Because I've always like, you know, looked at it as your goal. If it's a financial goal, I think it should almost like change based on the why. Yes. Right. So yeah. you come on. And I love that you said limiting belief in making a million dollars because so many people just want to make a million bucks. Yes. And then they hit it or they don't. And, and, and they're big, sad, big, mm-hmm. sad. That is not English. I apologize to our listeners. We are educated here. Um, they're quite upset <laughs> about hitting it or not hitting it. Right. And I think like, you know, for some people, they've always said like, you know, that, that that financial goal always continues to like move, but their why becomes so deep, right? Uh, just last week, my girlfriend and I were looking at, we're trying to go to um, the Maldives next year, right? And then I looked at the Maldives for like a night. It's like, man, like five grand or something like that. And I was like, okay, I, at least I understand why we're working so hard for that experience, right? Mm -hmm. I think some people get caught up in just like, I need a million bucks. Like most people are not going to have just a million sitting in cold, hard cash in their account. What you going to do with it? Right. Bank's not about to let you just withdraw all of it at once anyway. So what you going to do with all that? Um, So like, what are those two to three things that people then need to start kind of like rewiring their mindset to focus on in their journey so that when they do hit that, like, quote unquote, and I'm going to call it the million dollar spot that doesn't have to be a financial thing. It could be like the life they want. It could be maybe the freedom they want. It could be opportunities for other people, whatever that they're doing, that million dollar spot. What are two or three things that they need to focus on and start kind of like cultivating to be a part of their daily life so that when they do hit that spot, they're not filled with disappointment, but fulfillment that allows them to be like, yo, let's do it again or let's 10X this and grow. 
Got it. No, this, this is a really good question. So um, a few things popped in my head. So first, I, I would ask, well, first, it's nothing I can do to tell somebody that, you know, if your goal is to get a million dollars, um, it's going to be an underwhelming experience, right? I mean, I can tell you, you can have a hundred million other people tell uh, say it on the, they're not going to get it because in this culture, this American culture, we idolize the dollar and we idolize a million dollars. We don't even know where uh, the goal, the, the dream to be a millionaire even came from. Like, you know, that's something from 1900 where a million dollars was worth way more than what it is now. Like the equivalent is really more like $6.7 million, right? But let's set that to the side. I would tell people is to stop listening to uh, your, you know, your broke friends and, 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 and broke-minded friends and family members um, and stop looking at social media um, to define for them what success is, right? And so define for yourself what happiness is. So like for me, I don't care about cars, houses, or anything. What I do care about is that my children have a good time, right? And so that means every summer, they get to go down south and they get to go on a trip. I do care about when my wife wants to go and do X, that we can go and do that, whatever that is, right? And so that's success for me. And then define it not just financially. What about your health? What about your, your, your spirit? What about your relationship? Like take the time to find what success is in those. And then understand, the second part is, why is that particular success measure important to you? right? And hold that conversation with yourself, right? Because if you don't do that, do, do this part at all, you're stuck just going at the success goals that have been programmed into you. Like many people are doctors and lawyers and engineers, not because that's what they wanted. That's what they were programmed what success meant, right? And so like for me, I was told, hey, you should be a lawyer, right? The first a doctor and I was like, no, nah, I'm not interested. Oh, well, you're smart. You should be a lawyer. So I literally was going to be an attorney. And then, so in undergrad, I was going to be an engineer. Took the first class and realized I didn't, I hated this. At the end of undergrad, I got accepted to law school and almost went. And I was like, this is what everybody told me I was supposed to do. My older sister was an attorney and something was like, this is going to be the worst decision you ever make in your entire life if you move forward. And so I didn't go. And everybody was like, that was a dumb idea. And I went on active duty in the military, but I chose my own path because I was like, if I fail at what I call success, I can hold myself accountable and I can live with that and I can also adjust. But if I become successful based on what you'd call success, I won't necessarily experience joy and, and you don't realize that until you've done it. Um, so I would do those two things. And then something that's a little bit more tangible, is just set smaller goals, right? Set a goal for a quarter, set a goal for every year. So for you and your girlfriend, Maldives is the next goal. Right, so that costs five thousand dollars a night. You're gonna stay there for ten nights. That's fifty thousand dollars. Okay, so how do we set this? One, are you okay with that? Right, and forget what everybody else says. You and your girlfriend came together and said fifty thousand dollars for ten days in Maldives is okay. Great, and that's a goal. That's a success goal for you. And you've already recognized what the costs are. So when you go, you've achieved success, and now you can enjoy it. And you've already rationalized in your brain that fifty thousand dollars are going to be spent on this. So it doesn't matter what everybody else says. And so next year. That we did Maldives and $50,000 didn't break us. We just had to save. Let's go to wherever and do that. Set smaller goals. Stop focusing on a million dollars. Sell $1. Sell $100. Sell $1,000. Sell $5,000.
and make each one of those goals important. And then, and then that's how you walk your way down this aisle of success. That was, wow. That was powerful. Shout out to Catherine. <laughs> I love Catherine. And I'm the godfather of Crystal Lily, who I love with all my heart. Just want to put that, when, so when she gets old enough to hear this podcast in a few years, she'll know. She'll know. She'll know. You know, <laughs> shout out, shout out to, wow. Shout out to, shout out to uh, Catherine for, you know, making this connection for us because everything you said was something that someone needed to hear. Thank and you. truthfully, I think everybody needs to hear. Um, your, your experience, you know, and your expertise is profound. And uh, let me just say, you know, before we let you go, that we are truly appreciative that you, you know, on anniversary weekend, you know, made some time to, to come talk to the guys over at OTC. Uh, it's greatly appreciated. You know, please give your wife uh, our warmest regards. Tell her we appreciate her for not vetoing uh, the, the <laughs> podcast episode. And um, yeah, you know, we're just, we're, we're really great. Anniversary too, by the way. Thank Shout you. Out her. Shout out to her for letting this be a thing, man. Yes. I just want to, like, you guys are doing an awesome thing. I, I know you guys know it, um, but like what you're doing is, is game changer. And I don't mean that in the, in, in the whole corny sense that everybody says, oh, you're going to be amazing. No, I'm being truly sincere. Like you guys are like, hey, you appreciate me. I truly appreciate what you guys are doing. Like I've listened to your podcast and anybody that's listened, go back and check out all their prior podcasts. It's power that's been dropped in every single podcast. And so I, my, my prayer is that you guys keep going. You keep the friendship strong and then y'all just keep going and prospering. Thank you. We appreciate that. Um, before we let you go, though, for anyone you know who is listening and this is their first time being exposed to you and they want to know how they can get in contact with you, uh, what social media info or just like what contact info would you leave for them to reach out to you? So I'm active on Instagram. Um, so it's Arthur Tool and Tool is spelled T-O-O-L-E. I'm trying to be active on the others, but I've been told and forced to post daily on my personal Instagram. So that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> Even I got a boss and, you know, her name is Danette Tool. Like I'm posting every day. And just basically, honestly, I'm at that place where these seven years, right, going into the eight was hard and it was unnecessarily hard. You know, I'm a first generation entrepreneur, right? And some of the mistakes I made, like when I look at it now, it's like, Oh, you were an idiot. That was so obvious. And most of the big mistakes was because I didn't listen to Danette when she told me that's going to hurt you later. Right. And so now we're at that phase. And, I, and it's not like we've reached that place called there, but we're, we're enjoying the space that we're in right now. Um, I just want to help anyone that has decided that entrepreneurship is where they are or just anyone that's decided I want better. And so we just want to give and give and give. And this isn't a plug to sell anything. This is just I want to be what I didn't have so that somebody can do what we've done faster. And uh, when I meet people like you guys to see how you guys are just taking off, it's just, it's just awesome to see. Thank you. With that being said, we're going to go ahead and end this episode to our lovely listeners. I know you got some value from this, so go subscribe. If you ha if you haven't already subscribed, please go subscribe, share the episode out. If you got value from it, leave a review a five-star review, might I add. And, um, you know, we just love y'all for rocking with us for, you know, these last six months that we've been doing this. And if you've been with us since Rooted Deep, 
you've been with us even longer. So we appreciate y'all as well. But with that being said, until next time, peace and many blessings. Thank you for listening to another episode of Off the Clock. This episode was brought to you by The Accepted System. The Accepted System is a program that helps pre-physical therapy students get into physical therapy school without wasting time or money. Most pre-PT students go on to spend hundreds of dollars applying to multiple DPT programs, with the majority of them having less than 40% confidence that they will actually get accepted that cycle. You have been taught that regardless of all the work you put into applying, you really do not have much control over your acceptance into PT school. The truth is, you actually do. You can find help at www.preptgrindotc.com. This episode was also brought to you by Physio Memes. Physio Memes helps PT businesses to increase their referrals through word of mouth marketing by growing their brand with an online store. Physio Memes. Thank you for listening. Don't be shy to leave a review and subscribe to the podcast. See you next episode.